kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? evening ladies and gentlemen um welcome to year three of auntie nanny um with me as always well as almost always is my absolutely wonderful producer thank you very for everything you've done for the past couple of years the show has sounded great and it's all because of you thank you that's not all because of me i think i think you've put in a little bit of work well yeah, I I do the depressing stuff. You do the fun stuff on on the other side. <laughs> Plus, you bring a lot of knowledge to the table. Thank you for that. Um, I'd introduce Miss, you know, bubbly, vivacious genie, but she's she's doing other things right now. She'll be along eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm making that announcement a lot. I don't know. Um, okay. Sorry, last week, guys. Um, the Skype. Skype fiasco was just unreal. It was out like all day for a lot of users, and I guess it started pretty late at night in the UK. Very uh, well, it was the early hours of the morning that it went off in the UK. But yeah, it was back up. We could have done the show, but the yeah people are having connections drop. Sound quality was still not right. So yeah. yeah. Well, you know that's what happens when you let Microsoft fix stuff. <laughs> Buy it and it quote unquote improve it. Oh, by the by the way, for people who didn't know, it only affected the home users. People who yeah. pay for uh, Skype were unaffected. Oh, oh, okay. So it was, if you paid for it, you were. Fi- I had money in Skype, the bastards. No, no. I mean, if you're you've got the pro subscription for business. Oh, well, no, 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 that was that didn't yeah. go down. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. It was just us. Because, you know, in the end, we're all just people and we don't really matter. Um, yeah. So, last night, I, one of my friends, Brian, um, you guys probably, you probably actually do know him. He's, he's a vapor and I've known him forever. And he knows me really well, so he sends me an email and he tells me that he just saw this movie and I've got to see it. It's on Prime. And um, so I did watch it last night and it was great. And there actually is somebody stuck a link in the chat 
um, to a IDMB page, I think, for Deep Web, which was absolutely fantastic viewing. It was about the um, fair (laughs) trial of Dread Pirate Roberts and Silk Road. What was really interesting to me was every week we talk about Chris Seboygan and and all these other um, people that to me are are kind of famous for trying to protect our privacy rights. Uh, And it was really just kind of neat getting to see those people's faces, which you don't generally get to see too often. I was very happy. It was a really good, really good film. Um, So, yeah. And I guess I I said we would talk about the UN. So I guess I'll get that out of the way first since they're my favorite. Hmm. (laughs) The United Nations has a radical, dangerous vision for the future of the web. It may not have intended to precisely, but the United Nations just took sides in the Internet's most brutal culture war. On Tuesday, the organization's Broadband Commission for Digital Development released a damning worldwide wake-up call on what it calls Cyber VAWG, or Violence Against Women and Girls. The report concludes that online harassment is, quote, a problem of pandemic proportion, uh, which NBD we've all heard before. But the United Nations then goes on to propose radical protective policy changes for both governments and social networks, effectively projecting a whole new vision for how the Internet could work. Under U.S. law, that law not coincidentally governs most of the world's largest online platforms, intermediaries such as Twitter and Facebook generally can't be held responsible for what people do on them. But the United Nations proposes both that social networks proactively police every profile and post and that government agencies only, quote, license to those who agree to do so. The respect for and security of girls and women must at all times be front and center, the report reads, not only for those who are producing and providing the content, but also for everyone with any role in shaping the technological backbone and enabling the environment of our digital society. How that would actually work, we don't know. The report is light on concrete, actionable policy, but it repeatedly suggests that both social networks need to opt into stronger anti-harassment regimes and that the governments need to enforce them proactively. At one point, towards the end of the paper, the UN panel concedes that political and governmental bodies need to use their licensing prerogative to better protect human and women's rights, only granting licenses to those telecoms and search engines that supervise content and its dissemination. In other words, the United Nations believes that online platforms should be, A, generally responsible for the actions of their users, and B, specifically responsible for making sure those people aren't harassers. Regardless of whether you think those are worthwhile ends, the implications are huge. It's an attempt to transform the web from a libertarian free-for-all to some kind of enforced social commons. The question, of course, mirrors other larger debates playing out across the culture, including tiffs over academic trigger warnings and debates about Reddit's foggy future. Writing at Breibart several weeks ago, the conservative columnist Alan Bokhari described a growing social movement that he dubs cultural libertarianism, the rejection of any and all limitations on absolute free free expression. It's no coincidence that the cultural libertarians Bokhari cites are all leading figures in game game just as it's no coincidence that the UN report references Zoe Quinn, the first victim of that movement. 
Well, over a year after Quinn's harassment became international news, we still haven't answered these fundamental questions about what values the Internet should protect and who is responsible for it. The Orm report gets no closer, alas, but its most modest proposals are unfeasible. We can educate people about gender violence or teach digital citizenship in schools, but persuading social networks to police everything their users post is next to impossible. And even if it weren't, there are serious implications for innovation speech. According to the Electronic Frontier Foundation, CDA 230, the law that exempts online intermediaries from this kind of policing, is basically what allowed modern social networks, blogs and comments and forums, etc., to come into being. As reports like this are making increasingly clear, however, these platforms were developed by people who never imagined the struggles women face online. We're using tools that weren't designed for us, that other people, other values and priorities in mind. For God's sake. Thoughts? Yeah. Why don't they just enforce personal responsibility? You can't enforce personal responsibility. Throwing someone in a cage does nothing to teach people how to be responsible social human beings. Yeah. But, yeah... What what I mean is, yeah, they're sp- spending all this effort to try and control the internet, mm-hmm. which will never happen. Um, and any site that signs up to that sort of control mm-hmm. loses members. Well, I mean, I think they're sure going to try. Um, yeah. I, I think it's like all this stuff to eat into our privacy is more of a way to keep us under the government's, you know, ever watchful and helpful eye and <laughs> under their thumb. Um, in the end, humanity wants to be free so badly that I don't think they'll succeed. But the people that do this kind of work sure are going to be well paid. Yeah. But I mean, um, I don't know how it is in the US, but. Uh... The the haters and trolls. There's there's a group in the UK that hunts them down and exposes them. Mm-hmm. Right. And well, gives all the reports to the police and people have been prosecuted. And um, that that's what you need. Not trying to police the whole internet. That's just well. Crazy. I mean, <laughs> I don't think we need more police. I I think we need honestly probably less. Um, and we especially need less policing online. What we need is ordinary people to police the people policing us online. Yeah. So, and I doubt that will happen. Um, but as I say, the, the best I've come across is, you know, some technically proficient people tracked down some of the trolls and uh, exposed them. Yeah. Well, we have we have things like that here. Yeah. People do that sort of stuff all the time, but then you actually have... I, I don't know. Um, I'm not too fussed by a lot of this stuff. I remember 4chan from the early days and be bored. Um, once you've been exposed to that, <laughs> really nothing bothers you. Well, I'm, um, I'm Scottish, it, it, so yeah, people can say her. People say horrendous things in Scotland all the time, and it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I um, I tend to have a thicker skin, I think. 
Um, and I think more people would be wise to develop that, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones. We teach that to children for God's sake, you know? Well, I don't know if they still do. Well, it's probably not politically correct anymore. Oh, I don't know. Speaking of sticks and stones and breaking bones. Oh, speaking of breaking bones, this is not politically correct. (laughs) Um, so Chris Christie, uh, the man who looks like he has planets orbiting him. (laughs) (laughs) So a couple of days ago, he tells this New Jersey national guard leader that he needs to lose weight. (laughs) 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 Oh, hello, pot. It's the kettle calling. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a certain amount of just ridiculousness to that. Okay, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is asking someone else to lose weight, the leader of the state's National Guard. That seems reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> the 2016 presidential candidate, who has struggled with his own weight problems for years, has given Air Force Colonel Brigadier General Michael L. Cuniff, 90 days to meet U.S. military fitness requirements and slim down after learning he was reprimanded by the Pentagon last year for his excessive weight and for missing physical fitness tests. As Commander-in-Chief of the New Jersey National Guard, Christie is in charge of 8,400 soldiers and airmen, and he could be setting a really good example, too. I think he needs to go to fitness boot camp myself. Uh, Chris Christie, that is. Christie spokesman Kevin Roberts said the government was, the governor was informed of the issue last week and is urging generals to come into compliance with all military requirements. The governor has expressed directly to the general that his failure to meet the standard or to provide notification of his formal reprimand is both unacceptable and disappointing, Roberts said in a statement. The governor has directed General Conniff to meet his obligations in the next 90 days. Christie's order came after his staff told the Washington Post that the governor was unaware the general was not meeting Air Force fitness standards. In a written statement from the National Guard, Cuniff admits struggling with his weight in his adult life and for not meeting fitness requirements in recent years. Many people struggle with weight control. I am not immune from this. Just as I afford every opportunity to each soldier and airman to meet these standards, so will I, Cuniff said. I take this matter seriously, and I'm taking the necessary steps to remedy this issue by being involved in a rigorous physical fitness training program and have sought the the assistance of a nutritionist. Hmm. Yeah, governor throwing his weight around. Oh, yeah, he is. You know, and what's good for the goose is good for the gander. (laughs) The man should be setting a good example because, my God. He really does need to lose a little weight. When he does his uh, speeches, he should be on a treadmill. Mm. (laughs) He could get himself a walking desk. Or one of those exercise ball chairs. Those are really horrible, but um, (laughs) they do build a strong core. Well, I mean, yeah, I I am a person of the the, uh, cuddlier persuasion. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, yeah... Uh, that's really apart from long term injuries mm-hmm. it's not causing me any issues right mainly well, due to it, the fact it's not uh, there, people don't know this but there are different types of weight gain right mind surface fat mm-hmm. which means it's on the outside on top of the muscle right it's not the bad weight gain which is the stuff that's inside round your organs right that's that's the one that kills you. 
I, I can only suspect... I suspect the National Guard General probably is the same as me. It's probably surface fat. Because he's been fit in, his, in the past mm-hmm. and then fell off the wagon, ate too much or whatever. Right. And you get surface fat first. Mm-hmm. However, the governor... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's st- he had his stomach stapled a few yeah. years ago. I don't think it worked well for him. Yeah, obviously didn't work. <laughs> well, you have to stick with it. Unfortunately, I think Chris Christie shows a real lack of, of self-control. For, oh, uh, he's, he's a politician. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think everybody's metabolism slows down as they age. You you just can't help that. Yeah. But um, Chris Christie, he looks like he ate Richard Simmons yeah. in the cast of Sweating with the Oldies. Well, back, back when I was fit, healthy, and used to cycle 10 miles a day, mm-hmm. I was 16 stone. Mm. Uh, then the medications I was on, I've, I have now ended up 20 stone. So, yeah. Yeah, but you're it'll come back off. Yeah, but you're on you're on medication that's kind of different. Well, I'm off I'm off the medication now, so hopefully I can start losing some of the excess. But yeah, you know, um, I I think most people should do what makes them happy. I I have a problem with um, Governor Lardass ordering somebody to lose weight. I really do. I don't care who it is. I I'm sorry, that bothers me. Yeah. Okay. Well, in this case, he is correct in that the military does have requirements. But he shouldn't be sticking his nose in. (laughs) Especially not when he's the shape he is. (laughs) Yeah, round is a shape. Round is a shape. Um, Yeah, not a big fan of Chris Christie. So, um, you probably read the third story I have on here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so... um, I think a couple of people probably read this because I was so horrified when I read it. I said, okay. I posted it, and then I went and fact-checked it and threw up a little in my mouth. And um, then right I was like, oh, okay, it's, everybody it's, needs to hear this. Yeah. This is this is almost like a British military experiment story. <sighs> yeah, it it kind of is, except, <laughs> uh, you know, we don't keep our stuff neatly classified in little freaking files online. Yeah. With descriptions. Okay. Revealed, Army scientists secretly sprayed St. Louis with radioactive particles for years to test chemical warfare technology. This was in an actual newspaper. And from what I've been able to suss out everything in this actual newspaper is true. The United States military conducted top-secret experiments on the citizens of St. Louis, Missouri for years, exposing them to radioactive compounds, a researchers claimed. Well, it was known that the government sprayed, quote, harmless zinc-cadium sulfide particles over the general population in St. Louis. Professor Lisa Martino-Taylor, a sociologist in St. Louis Community College, claims that a radioactive additive was also mixed with the compound. She's accused, she has accrued detailed descriptions as well as photographs of the spraying, which exposed the unwitting public, predominantly in low-income and minority communities, to radioactive particles. She has accused, um, okay, this, the study was secretive for a reason. That, okay, 
So they didn't have volunteers stepping up and saying, yeah, I'll breathe in zinc caladium sulfide with radioactive particles, said Professor Martino Taylor to KSDK. Through her research, she found photographs of how the particles were distributed from 1953 through 54 and 1963 through 65. In Corpus Christi, the chemical was dropped from airplanes over large swaths of the city. In St. Louis, the Army put the chemical in sprayers on buildings like schools and public housing projects and mounted them in station wagons for mobile use. Despite the extent of the experiment, local politicians were not notified about the content of the testing. The people of St. Louis were told the Army was testing smoke screens to protect cities from a Russian attack. It was pretty shocking, the level of duplicity and secrecy. Clearly, they went to great lengths to deceive people. In her research, she found the greatest concentration of spraying in St. Louis was at the Prout-Igno public housing complex, which was home to 10,000 low-income residents. She said that 70% of those residents were children under the age of 12. Professor Marino Taylor became interested in the topic after hearing independent reports of cancers among city residents living in those areas at the time. This was a violation of all medical ethics, all international codes, and the military's own policy at the time, said the professor. There's a lot of evidence that shows people in St. Louis and in the city, and particularly minority communities, were subject to military testing that was connected to a larger radiological weapons testing project. Previous investigations of the compound that were sprayed were buffed by the military, which insisted it was safe. However, professor, the professor believes the document she uncovered proved the zinc caladium sulfide was also mixed with radioactive particles. She linked the St. Louis testing to a now-defunct company called U.S. Radium. The controversial company came under fire and numerous lawsuits after several of its workers were exposed to dangerous levels of radioactive materials in its fluorescent paint. U.S. Radium had this reputation where they had been found legally liable for producing a radioactive powdered paint that killed many young women who painted fluorescent watch tiles, said Professor Taylor. In her findings, one of the compounds that was sprayed upon the public was called FP-2266, according to the Army's documents, and was manufactured by U.S. Radium. The compound, also known as Radium-226, was the same one that killed and sickened many of the U.S. Radium workers. The Army has admitted that it added fluorescent substance to the harmless compound, but whether or not the additive was radioactive remains classified. Professor Taylor has not been able to find out if the Army ever followed up on the long-term health of the residents exposed to the compound. In 1972, the government destroyed the Pruitt-Ingo houses. Upon learning of the professor's findings, Missouri lawmakers called on the Army to detail the tests. I share and understand the renewed anxiety of the members of the St. Louis communities that were exposed to the spraying of chemicals as part of Army tests during the Cold War, Senator Claire McGill wrote to Army General Secretary John McCoo. The impacted communities were not informed of the tests at the time and are reasonably anxious about the long-term health impacts the tests may have had on those exposed to airborne chemicals. Senator Roy Blunt called the findings absolutely shocking. The idea that thousands of Missourians were unwillingly exposed to harmful materials in order to determine their health effects is absolutely shocking. It should come as no surprise that these individuals and their families 
are demanding answers of government officials, Senator Blunt said. So, yeah. Yeah. Usual sort of military. <laughs> well, I mean, they've done this sort of testing in the past, and somehow it always comes out, and somehow it always comes around and, and bites them in the ass, and they still go on doing it. Yeah. And the thing is, this... The... The compounds they used in this experiment, as far as I can make out, are very, very low-level radioactive, luckily. Um, right. Because, yeah, it's basically, if it's the same sort of stuff they put in fluorescent paint, it's not all that radioactive, unless you roll around in it. Um, well, right, but... And, but the tests themselves were kind of unnecessary, because... Well, um, their whole Manhattan project, they had people who were exposed to much higher levels of fallout, so they already knew what it would do. Right, well... Um, That plus places like um, the Highlands in Scotland Mm -hmm. are more radioactive than other places on Earth. Mm -hmm. So they they already know long-term what low-level radioactive... Um, materials due to biology. I mean, right. it's 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 it smacks of the army just wanted to do something. Uh, they had a budget. Uh, oh, what what can you do to spend our budget? <laughs> that, that's what it kind of smacks of. Well, because it, it's it not even proper that, but, testing. I mean, look at where they sprayed it. They didn't spray it in my neighborhood. You know. Yeah. They they didn't spray it in any nice neighborhood. I mean, what it what it kind of reminds me of is, um, do you know what corporate buffer zones are? Yeah, yeah, I know you know. I, I'm gonna bet a lot of listeners don't. Some do. Some probably don't. A corporate buffer zone is about a 20 mile area inside, you know, the worst parts of a town or city. Um, the places where the poorest people who can least afford to defend themselves live, right? So that's where extreme polluters um, tend to put their factories. And this kind of reminds me of that. Why wouldn't you spray it on the wealthier people in the suburbs or the wealthier people who lived in high-rises in the city? Uh, well, that that's kind of the amusing thing when you do it over a city. Some of it will have ended up in the the richer areas because it's a dust. The wind picks it up and carries it. Right. Well, no, I <laughs> It'll know have that, ended I'm up just saying, all you know, over the they, place. They didn't set up shop over these really nice places. No, they never do. They never do. Exactly. Because yeah, they figure, it's, it's, even such, if, it's such a poorly conceived experiment. Yeah, I, I just think it was uh, some scientist had a budget uh, that needed used up. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, we'll, we'll we'll do this. It'll take this many years, cost this amount of money. Yeah. Well, I mean, and especially we, when we've... you know there appears to have been no follow up whatsoever. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but you know what's funny is. I've seen the files. You've shown them to me. I've gotten like physically sick looking at the photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But th- this is 
these are things that governments do to their own people. Oh, yeah. So if you have this sentimental idea that your fucking government cares about you, you're wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. Just yeah. get that stupid-ass idea out of your head right now. Okay, so that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really fun. It, it wasn't. Um, this one's so, kind of so good. Just, just- just as another question, so do people from St. Louis glow in the dark? Um, apparently only the people who live in poor neighborhoods, that would only be what, the Hispanic population, the Chinese population, well, the black population? Well, it is, it is handy because, you know, it saves them having to have, you know, buy light bulbs and stuff if they're <laughs> lighting their own house. Um, you know what's funny? You were talking about the, the radium. We were talking about the radium they paint on, on watch dials and stuff. Yeah. I have a friend who um, makes steampunk jewelry. And she yeah. got really sick from handling it. Because yeah, she will. used it's actual radium. gears and stuff that were older. Yeah. And it had all been exposed to that paint. And she got very, very sick from it. Yeah, that's, that's what it said in that story. You know, workers at the plant that produced the chemical ended up ill. Yeah. Radium is incredibly dangerous if if you're handling it all the time. True. Yeah, I see Miss Jeannie in the chat. Let's Hi, Jeannie. see if I can add her to the call. Okay. I know too many people. Too much scrolling <laughs> to do. At, at least we have Alex do the updates for Kasa because he's like right at the beginning of the alphabet and that's better. that's terrible but it's true (sighs) okay so when Jeannie gets a chance and gets to pick up we'll hear from the bubbly and vivacious Miss Jeannie K I gotta get my shit one close hold on (laughs) (laughs) oh God. So, yeah, it's kind of been, it, it was weird having last week off. It really was because I hadn't planned on doing like a, a big news show last week. I just planned on just chatting because uh, last Monday was my birthday. Yeah. So, see, birthday, see, Mike, Microsoft were forcing you to take your birthday off. Yeah. Yeah. Microsoft. Yeah. They were helping. <laughs> So, yeah. And I don't know if you noticed, Barry, but there's a Jalen story in here. Uh, you know, the no. blimps. Oh, that, yes, I noticed, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, what a waste. Yeah. Hmm? How was your birthday? Um, I had a headache, and I couldn't do my show, so it was quiet. <laughs> How are the rabbits? happy I think Ruger likes them <laughs> Ruger's got new friends to go with his chickens evidently <laughs> they seem to like him too that might be a problem oh <laughs> yeah yeah it might be especially if they're buddies Ruger's a big boy Ruger won't be pleased when they end up dinner mm. Yeah, just don't name them. I learned that lesson the hard way. Okay. Um, So, yeah. I think this one is actually 
decent. So after that horrible, horrible, disturbing story about the government uh, experimenting with radioactive materials on its own citizens, we'll switch over to something nicer. Fifth Amendment protects passcodes on smartphones, court holds. In a new case decided Wednesday, SEC versus Hong, a federal trial court in Pennsylvania held that the government can't force a person to give up his passcode to his smartphone. The person who wrote this says he thinks the decision misses the mark and he hopes it's appealed. I don't. First, the facts. The Securities and Exchange Commission is investigating Bohan and Nanhong for insider trading. The two worked at the credit card company Capital One as data analysts. According to the complaint, the two allegedly used their jobs as data analysts to figure out sales trends at major U.S. companies and to trade stocks in those companies ahead of announced company earnings. According to the SEC, they turned a $1,500 investment into $2.8 million. Capital One let its employees use company-owned smartphones for work. Every employee picked his own passcode and, for security reasons, did not share the passcode with Capital One. When Capital One fired the defendants, the defendants returned their phones. Later, as part of the investigation, Capital One turned over the phones to the SEC. The SEC now wants access to the phones because it believes evidence of insider trading is stored inside them. But here's the problem. The SEC can't get in. Only the defendants know the passcodes, and the defendants have refused to disclose them. That brings us to the new decision. The SEC has asked the court for an order to compel Bohan and Han Nan Hung to each give up their passcodes to the Capital One phones they use so the SEC can bypass the passcode, passcode gate and search the phones. The defendants have opposed the request for an order on Fifth Amendment grounds. In their view, an order forcing them to give up the passcodes would force them to testify against themselves in violation of the privilege against self-incrimination. In its new ruling, the trial court agreed with the defendants and denied the SEC's request. The opinion was written by Judge Mark McCurney, a relatively new district judge. The most important part of the opinion is Judge Kearney's approach to the foregone conclusion doctrine. The doctrine introduced in Fisher v. United States says that the Fifth Amendment doesn't block complying with the court order when testimonial part of complying with the court order is a foregone conclusion. In other words, if the government already knows the testimonial part of complying with the order and they're not seeking to prove it from the order, then you can't use the Fifth Amendment to avoid compliance with the order. That's totally not confusing in any way, shape, or form, and this is why we have lawyers. The big issue in Hong is how to apply that doctrine. The government argued that the foregone conclusion doctrine applies because the government already knew the testimonial aspect of complying with the order for the passcode. The government already knew that the users possessed the phone, so the testimonial part of complying with any order, admitting knowledge of the passcode, and therefore admitting to likely possession of the phones was a foregone conclusion. Judge Kearney ruled that this argument missed the mark because the foregoing conclusion doctrine is about what specific documents the government is seeking. Because the existence of specific files sought on the phone was not a foregone conclusion, the foregone conclusion doctrine couldn't apply. The Court of Appeals reasoning in re-grand jury again persuades over our analysis. Sorry, this is, um, this is from VOCA Conspiracy. It's law-based. The Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit Court refused to apply the foregone 
conclusion doctrine because the government could not meet its burden of showing with reasonable particularity what, if anything, was hidden behind the encrypted wall. While the government need not identify exactly the underlying documents it seeks, categorical requests for documents the government anticipates are likely to exist simply will not suffice. So that's, I don't know. I think that's actually pretty good news. I don't like the fact that every time it's a First Amendment, Second Amendment, Third Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment case, we have to deal with some scumbag criminal breaking the fucking law to protect what's already laid out in documents that have been there for hundreds of years um, as a protection of our quote-unquote rights. Um, um, and, and here's the thing, is all of this time, you know, we have been trying to make the police get search warrants to go through people's phones because we are calling them what would normally be considered personal papers and effects. They're right? your digital... They're your digital Fourth Amendment rights. I mean, that's your your digital. Your, they're your digital papers and property, and the government has no right to seize them. Okay, yeah, even a they casual reading of the Fourth Amendment gets you that. Go ahead. Yeah, we're saying, you know, to get these, to get your personal effects and papers um, searched, they need a search warrant. Correct. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they got a search warrant, and these yep. people are refusing. To surrender what we're going to, for stupid people terms like myself, call personal papers and effects. Mm -hmm. So you are refusing, uh, fuck it, they should get whatever the max punishment is for whatever crime they're being tried for. They should get the max for that, for failing to comply with the court order and release these documents. You know, know. I, I think, but I think... You're only seeing one side of this and me too. You and I weren't present in that court. We don't know what actually happened. You don't know what kind of quote-unquote fair trial these people got. I don't either. People get... The justice system is is eager to stomp all over the personal protections we have in these amendments. And I really don't like that all of these cases, Fourth Amendment, Third Amendment, Second Amendment, whatever, I don't like that all of these cases when our rights get upheld, are because some scumbag broke the fucking law. I don't like that. But I don't like even more that the government is trying to force people to incriminate themselves with this. Your your passcode is supposed to be sacrosanct. You know, digitally. That's, that's... It's like your DNA. I mean, you shouldn't be able to be forced to give that up either. And yet, let's look at some of the laws that. Have you ever read the Have you ever read the waivers when you go to give blood, or when you go to have blood drawn? Yeah, yeah, I've read them too. They own your fucking DNA. After that process, it is no longer what makes you you. Is no longer owned by you. So I mean, I think it's all part of a larger problem. And we have these rights. You have the right not to incriminate yourself. The government is not supposed to cajole you into doing it, and they do it all the time. And yeah, these guys are the worst of the worst scumbags. They're thief scumbags, and I hate them worst of all. The people that manipulate the market and steal value from ordinary, hardworking people who try to do the right thing, I hate those people most of all. But they still have the right not to incriminate themselves. And I, I understand that you, you side with the author of this piece. I don't. 
I think our rights are trampled on too much these days. But they followed the letter of the law, and the letter of the law says that when a search warrant is issued, that you must comply with this search warrant, um, period, whether you're innocent or whether you're guilty. Um, and they're refusing to do that. And then let's go back to where these were not personal cell phones either. Right. Now, I understand their work cell these phones. These were company property, and they are refusing the government access to this company property, um, which there's a real good chance that there's evidence of insider trading on, which is corporate espionage. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I he, should have to comply with the search warrant. I really do. You know what I think? We already fucking know what the NSA can do. Throw the goddamn cell phones at the NSA and dig up the evidence dirty as you want that way. But it's you know what I mean? Cops do thing. that shit. They do that shit all the time. And I'm not saying cops, but I mean, like, your federal officers do that shit all the time. I watched it happen last night in a documentary I watched. I watched them convict a man and not allow him to defend himself in court by use of NSA tools. And this kind of stuff happens all the time. So I don't understand how, I mean, I do understand why this is a big deal. And it's a big deal for me because you shouldn't have to incriminate yourself. That I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to budge from there. Uh, but I understand where you're coming from. These people are human shitbags. They're scum. And they should be made to pay for their crimes. But the government just has to find some other way to convict them of them. That's all. That's all I'm saying. And you're saying they should go to jail. And I'm saying, yeah, they, they probably should. But the government has ways around this. They didn't have to go about it this way. But it's, it's good that they did. Now you don't have to give up your cell phone passcode when you get stopped. There's precedence. There's legal precedence protecting you now, which is something we didn't have before. Because whenever you were pulled over, whether it was a traffic violation or whatever, it was widely held belief that whatever you had on you was able to be searched by whoever pulled you over. Whether it was a federal law enforcement agent or a local law enforcement agent, we now have some semblance of protection. And I don't like that scumbags gave it to us. But I do like that it's there. We didn't have it before. We're a little... Legally speaking, we're a little safer for it. I'm always good with that. Very. <laughs> Did we put you to sleep? No, no, no. Um, it is a complicated issue, but this has only come about because the SEC are lazy, sloppy bastards <laughs> who don't have a technical department that could have got around the passwords. Which is how law enforcement would normally go about these things. Uh, exactly. And exactly. try to do it I just mean, that's by... that's kind of my point. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, of course a criminal isn't going to incriminate himself. Right. We need the password to look at all your these hidden, potentially hidden files. What kind of idiot would say yes? <laughs> well, you know, and, and I kind of agree with you because they weren't specific about that. It's, no. If they seized my computer tomorrow... Okay, and I'm not saying I don't encrypt because I'm not saying I do or don't encrypt because, you know, hi NSA, how you doing? Um, <laughs> but, and they were able to break encryption. God knows what they would find. 
I mean, I have all kind of like legal documents and stuff on here that, you know, stuff that maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I should. Who knows? But God knows what kind of case they could build around it. And I'm not going to give them an easy way to get to that stuff. You'd have to be crazy to. And that's kind of the point. With this, they didn't say exactly what they were looking for. Nobody is going to give you a search warrant, a real search warrant. Nobody's No self-respecting judge who's actually educated in lawyeries is going to give you a search warrant if you don't have specifics listed. That's how it's supposed to work. That's not how it does, but that's how it's supposed to work. And it, it looks like maybe the, there was an honest judge in this case. Although I do believe these people deserve to have the fucking book thrown at them, but that should be really interesting considering they're now in Southeast Asia somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that probably isn't going to go too well for them either. Um, yeah, well. I, I wouldn't want to live out my life in most of Southeast Asia. Uh, I, you know, there's a lot of places I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't want to be... I wouldn't want to be shut up in Ecuador somewhere. I wouldn't want to be in Moscow somewhere. I definitely wouldn't want to be in the Far East because um, they don't take kindly to people who break the law there. No. You, you remember well, if, what if, happened if you to piss the, off the officials formula there. guy? Yeah. They hung him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was just over food. Well, there's a American diplomat's son in, was it Singapore? Right. Who, who rode along on his skateboard, uh, setting off car alarms, mm-hmm. you know, hitting the cars and setting off alarms. Right. He got birched. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know what? He's probably still fucking alive, even though he got birched. I'll tell you, you oh no, he's, he is alive. Uh, but it's a fact his uh, his 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 parents and his diplomatic community meant fuck all to Singapore. <laughs> it's like, yep, it's like it you're you're causing. You know, he, he scratched some of the cars and stuff. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, and here's here's the other thing about that, that whole Fifth Amendment smartphone scumbag thief people case. Um, this is why the SEC and the government don't want your shit to be encryptable. This yeah. is why they want... A backdoor key to all encryption. Yeah, they're getting lazy and sloppy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, no one wants to do actual correct policing anymore. And the people that do, I guess, are thought of as weirdos and freaks. Maybe throwbacks. I don't know. Oh, um, unfortunately, Very tells me that now he can hook up the phones if he wants. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't want phones for this show. You know, and what's funny is I really like to have a Skype guest and have the phone lines active on my show, uh-huh. and I can't fucking do it. Hmm. Well, for me, it does take both of my desktop computers. Exactly, and, and, and I'm not hooking up lighting. two fucking computers. Yeah. It shouldn't have to be like that, no. really. It's not how well, it's supposed to be, but no. it seems to be and, the way BTR want to do it. Right. Where the hell was Kevin and Dino last night? I thought they were supposed to be back on live last uh, night. I don't know. I I um I did message Dino and I said, um, so should I keep like giving myself a neck ache, looking up at the sky, hoping the clouds will go away, or are you doing a show? And he said to me, um, I don't think so. I just got home and this was at quarter nine. Kevin was going to the casino. 
<laughs> so uh, maybe Kevin was traumatized, had to clean a dirty day baby diaper or something. <laughs> maybe he got poop on his foot. You know, he's he's one of those weird <laughs> foot people. He's one yeah. of them weird body fluid people. Period. <laughs> so yeah, he would not do well in the medical community. Or, you know, anything that where you have to deal with people. Um, so we just I just had a nice rant about your fifth amendment rights, sorry. And um this goes along with that kind of story. Um Obama administration explored backdoors for bypassing smartphone cryptography. Approaches were ultimately rejected out of concern. They were too controversial. <laughs> How could that be? You want your digital privacy? How is that controversial? An Obama administration working group considered four backdoors that tech companies could adopt to allow government investigators to decipher encrypted communications stored on phones of suspected terrorists or criminals, according to a news article published Thursday by the Washington Post. Ultimately, the group rejected each one out of concern that they were too controversial. Citing a draft memo from the group, reporters Andrea Peterson and Ellen Nakashima wrote, The first potential solution called for providers to add a physical encrypted port to their devices. Companies would maintain a separate set of keys to unlock devices using that port only if law enforcement had physical access to a device and obtained a court order to compel the company's assistance. Necessary hardware changes could be costly for U.S. manufacturers, but the physical access required by this method could limit some of the cybersecurity risks, the memo said. The second approach would exploit companies' automatic software updates. Hmm. Under a core order, the company could insert spyware onto targeted consumers' phones or tablets, essentially hacking the device. However, the memo warned this could call into question the trustworthiness of established software update channels and might lead some users to opt out of updates, which would eventually leave their devices less secure. A third idea described splitting up encryption keys, a possibility floated by the National Security Agency Director Michael S. Rogers, that piece of shit, earlier this year. That would require companies to create a way to unlock encrypted content but divide the keys into several pieces to be combined only under court order. Exactly how this would work remains unclear, but the memo warned that such a system would be complex to implement and maintain. Under the final approach, which officials called a, quote, forced backup, companies under court order would be required to upload data stored on an encrypted device to an unencrypted location, but this might put significant constraints on companies, the memo noted, saying it would require that they design new backup channels or substantially modify existing systems. The approaches were part of a months-long government discussion on how best to deal with the growing inability of government investigators to monitor communications of suspects, a phenomenon the FBI refers to as, quote, going dark. While officials say they remain concerned, they said they had no intention of moving forward with any of the four approaches. Rather than sparking more discussion, government-proposed technical approaches would almost certainly be perceived as proposals to introduce backdoors or vulnerabilities in technology, products, and services, and increase tensions rather than build cooperation. The memo said, well, no fucking shit. Well, yet again, we're on the... It sounds like they had some money in a budget and need to use it up. (laughs) Right, anyone who knows anything about 
uh, microchips, computer systems, and software. There will already be backdoors in the hardware and software. Engineers do that all the damn time when they're creating this shit. Well, that's because they have to be able to get back in if something it's goes just, wrong. They need, it's just the companies don't admit to it. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, even I know they need to get back in there in case they need to fix some fucked up shit. Yeah. I mean, and of course backdoors are there, but, you know, we've seen... And I'm going to say this. I really like Edward Snowden. I just don't know how real all the stuff I've seen is. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming stuff that's gone vetted through journalists is is pretty well documented. I think Lee Fang and, and a lot of the other journalists have done due diligence on it. Now, I've looked at some of the stuff with my limited expertise and and most of that looks like it it could actually happen to me but some of this stuff is just i don't know how far along you know i guess what are we going to call them the spy masters <laughs> the watchmen let's call them the watchmen i don't know how far along the watchmen have actually gotten um with the technology to keep an eye on us but about the creepiest thing i saw was when it wasn't the intercept. Um, it was the guardian when they showed the photos of the government actually intercepting computer core products and then inserting physical chip back doors into it. That whole project kind of freaked me out because how how much do you need to know? Yeah. I mean, and at some point, won't you have collected so much that you can't reasonably analyze it all ever? They're already at that point. Even with the best of computers, isn't that going to inhibit you from actual investigative work? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the best the best search technology around is... It's the more advanced version of what Google is basically, uh, and even it has trouble. Will have trouble with the volume of data that mm -hmm. they've already amassed. I mean, well, I mean, and I search engines are not quick, despite what people think. No, they're not, and they're they're slow and dull witted. I mean, I can find just about anything with a computer I want, yeah. and it's just a matter of how you frame what you're looking for. Yeah, because um, it's and most you've the search be engines. To be freaking repetitive. Yeah. Most of search engines like Google and Bing and all the rest. Mm -hmm. To shortcut searches, which is the reason why it works so fast, is uh, things are linked together, shall we say. Uh, they have, you know, certain phrases mm -hmm. said in a certain way will narrow the search results automatically. Right. But when you're doing the bulk collection data thing, you can't do that. <laughs> so exactly. it makes the I mean, search engine a lot slower well it, right know. I mean and you've got to figure I mean what were they saying teraflops not even terabytes oh, yeah. oh, that's well, what's going into the, data. the Utah data center yeah. I, I can't even imagine I mean that's more than every word ever written ever yeah. uh, that's how much shit they're collecting and I think in a way it's kind of the new currency 
You know what I mean? Because... Uh, oh, data. Uh, information. Data. has always been currency, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways it's worth more. Because yeah. they can do more with it and try to exploit you more through whatever data you happen to leak. Because, um, let's be honest, we do leak data with every single thing we do. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, even the way you type on a keyboard or swipe on a phone or text will tell someone something if they know how to read it right. Um, and uh, Alex is ready. Oh, right. Yeah, I was just going to say Michael Morrison chat there. He's hit the nail on the head about search engines. Yeah. He searches for Macintosh apples and ends <laughs> up loads, with, loads of stuff about <laughs> Apple Macintosh. Because search engines do that. Yeah, they do. They, 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 they mould what you say. Uh, <laughs> but I think I remember I sent you an article about um, how to more effectively use search engines. You did. Yeah. You did. And it's for me, it's been tremendously helpful. I mean... Oh, yeah. It was written by a librarian specialising in data management. So, yeah. yeah, it's damn good stuff. Exactly. I Smartly. already knew it all anyway, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Right, um, I shall see if I can get Alex. Okay. Mm, let's see. Okay. Evening, Alex. Good evening. Good evening, and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 9-28-2015. Hi, Alex. How are you this evening? Good. How are you doing? I'm very good. Um, so, what interesting things have been happening this week? Well, um, I'm looking at this now just because okay. it's a thick <laughs> piece of <laughs> legal writing, but uh, <clears throat> the FDA released... Um, is this the title clarification of when products made or derived from tobacco yes. are regulated as drugs, devices, or combination products? And then it's to regulations regarding intended uses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've made it as clear as mud for everybody who reads it too. If, if I think that I understand this, I must be missing something. Um, well, I think <laughs> I, my just quick run through because I didn't really sit down and read it because it's FDA stuff, and and I I think I know what they're trying to do anyway. But um, my quick read-through was um, it kind of seemed like they were looking for a way to take part of the e-cig market. Hello? Hello? Yeah, I got you now. I hear you now. Okay. Um, My my just um, quick read through the document looked like they were looking for a way to take part of the market and classify it as drug delivery devices again. I guess I, I, I don't, uh, obviously this should, I should preface anything I say with the statement that, you know, everybody's reviewing this and, um, you know, obviously there's another, I, I believe, there's a 60-day comment period. Did I get yes. that right? Um, yes. So there's there's time for, for us to put something together if it's even necessary. Um, I I kind of walked away from this thinking that they were just 
using more words to further <laughs> clarify the point that you can't market this as a you can't market e-cigarettes as a cessation device. Right. Um, and I think further, <clears throat> you know, I think some people have kind of been skirting that line of, you know, suggesting that their customers gradually lower their nicotine level over time. Right. Or using marketing, saying, you know, something as, as blatant as quit smoking, start vaping. Right. It's, it's a, it, there's a nuance there. But they even give examples of like, I mean, they even get into the whole kind of stating that there are code words, you know, like satisfying is code for this product has a lot of, has enough nicotine, you know, <laughs> like, um, it, yeah. it was, it, it was kind of, kind of an interesting read that they acknowledge that and then say that, you know, so you have to say, you know, satisfying, not, you know, talk about it in a sort of, sort of clinical ways. Right. Um, it, it's, I, to me, it, it further illustrated this sort of weird cat and mouse game that that this agency is playing with tobacco. Well, yeah, um, and I, I think um, we're looking at a time now coming up where they're actually worried about um, the 2016 elections and what it's going to do to the makeup of like the House and the Senate and even the White House because. I really think you're going to start to see a big push for this sort of, of thing. You know what I mean? I think they're going to try to regulate as much as they absolutely can while they still can. Yeah. I guess the sentiment is that if things are Republican controlled, then I guess the agency may find themselves without so much power to regulate or um, find themselves up against a Congress that, will do things like defund their tobacco control efforts or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that would certainly hurt my feelings. Um, <laughs> you know, um, we do actually spend a lot of money on it. And the, I think um, the way the government is handing out grants now is kind of unethical and sneaky. Um, that That's just how it reads to me. I don't, um, I don't imagine, let me put it this way. I don't imagine any of the researchers that I believe are ethical could get a government grant to study vaping, put it that way. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> so, uh, suffice to say, um, the big brains, uh, are, are taking a look at this document a little bit closer and seeing if there's any need for us to take action. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that. I, I think that between, I guess we, we didn't, was it last week that we didn't do this? Yeah, we couldn't. Skype notes the, were yeah, down. Skype yeah. was, Skype was being difficult. So, um, <laughs> yeah. between the last time that we had this little get together and now, um, uh, we put out, another email reminder to everyone. There were several things for people to um, take advantage of. And I should probably have prepped this and gotten that ready to <laughs> remind everybody. But um, uh, it's just... The Consumer Report story was pretty bad. 
Yeah, you know, I don't read consumer reports. Um, I, I tend to get a little bit more value out of actual consumer feedback on products uh, that I'm interested in buying. So I, I just read the reviews. Uh, I'm not necessarily the most scrupulous consumer when it comes to stuff. I, uh, I, am, I fully admit that I allow myself to be drawn in by bright, shiny things. And if it's the right color and doesn't break after a couple months, then I'll probably buy it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I actually had to look up, you know, whether or not consumer reports was still something that people thought was important. Um, and, you know, to some extent, yeah, you know, they've got like 7 million readers and uh, people do turn consumer reports, those carry some weight. So for yeah. them to, I mean, this was, this was subpar for even, you know, your typical anti-vaping propaganda. This was like, um, like we read one study and uh, like it was bad. So, you know, <laughs> don't do the vape. Uh, you know, that's <laughs> was really, that's not a product review. That's just, that's not in-depth reporting by any stretch of the imagination. There are like crappy local news stories that describe, you know, what a 2008 Sigalike device looks like. And, uh, you know, th that are more thoroughly researched than what Consumer Reports put out. Um, That's bad. But, uh, yeah, the last time I checked, and actually the last, the last, last time I checked and the last time I saw somebody mention the count of the comments on that article, when I checked it was at 1,000. And then somebody came back, you know, a couple hours later and there was 200 more. So uh, there's, I haven't even looked at it recently but uh mm -hmm. people really jumped all over that so that was a, a good response and thanks to everybody who participated um so uh yeah that was number two on the list and we usually wrap up by saying support this bill but um uh, i did want to just remind everybody that i i actually went and made a flyer and yep. we're using that that fun QR code. So if you get that scanner app on your phone, um, you can just point and do it. Uh, it takes you right to the, the send an email engagement. Um, but, uh, you know, no matter how digital the world gets, we still got to do things with flyers and posters. And man, we, we're not, I don't think we're ever, well, I'm not going to say ever, but, you know, we're certainly not in a position to afford. Uh, uh, direct mail campaign um, but uh, you know every vape shop in the country should have one of these flyers up somewhere and I, I don't care if you don't like the flyer that I made that's fine just take the link and the QR code and, and slap it on something you know if hey here do this and support vaping if that's what you think is appropriate then um, you know grab it and share it and, and everybody that comes through your shop should should be exposed to this opportunity. Um, so just don't ask me to write it because it'll offend people. Go ahead. Absolutely. <laughs> go ahead, Janie. I'd <laughs> love to see what you come up with. <laughs> I mean, as long as there's not like dancing naked girls, I think we're fine. Right. Yeah. There definitely would not be that. <laughs> okay. Then, then we're good. We're totally good. Um, so, oh, what else did we get? Oh, it's oh, we've got two days left. Um, if you have 
not uh, submitted a comment on the advance notice of proposed rulemaking, which was about nicotine exposure warnings, shower resistant packaging. Um, you still have until the 30th to get that done. Mm -hmm. um, and that should, uh, we promoted that several times. So uh, there is a link to that um, somewhere. And everybody, it's 70 <laughs> or 62,000 people got an email last week. So um, if, you, if you didn't check your emails, go back and look, it's, it's there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, the other thing is not necessarily something I've quite figured out whether or not we're going to do anything about, but um, people in Indiana, uh, as if Indiana hasn't been through enough, um, there is a study committee getting together on October 6th. Um, I'm not sure if it's public comment. We got this from uh, a friend mm -hmm. um, who typically can uh, get, they can afford to, to get in on things like this. Not, right. the, not, not to imply that you have to buy your way in, but mm -hmm. um, these are people who have access to lobbyists. Um, so uh, they can get themselves invited. Um, but uh, this is a, a interim study committee Okay. to talk about future regulation on electronic cigarettes, which is just, you know, it's kind of mind boggling. Like how much worse can you get in Indiana uh, than what passed this year? Um, but uh, this will be talking about whether or not electronic cigarettes should be defined as tobacco products subject to smoking bans and e-cigarette taxation, which I guess is, is actually worse. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of compounded. Just, like, just yeah. 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 So, yeah, basically everything they did to us when we smoked, they want to do to us now that we vape. That's not really a shock. I mean, yeah. you know, um, I, I think what's kind of cracked me up is all the, the stories in the news where they're saying 67% uh, of children are exposed to e-cigarette advertising. So what you're saying is there's lots of children living with adults. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's to me that stuff is ridiculous. Um, are you supposed to put blinders on your kids, or are they supposed to be better people because we infantilize the adults? I don't know. Well, and see, and the one thing that they don't want to address is if if your commercial gets FCC approval. There isn't a network out there that can refuse to sell you advertising time at the time you want it. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, um, back years and years and years ago, um, I was pregnant for my daughter, and I lived in Dallas, Texas, and I managed a bar. So, in other words, I got out of work at 4 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I happened to go home. And um, had some, I don't know, I think Star Trek The Next Generation reruns going. Right. And um, I fell asleep watching TV. And I wake up and there's cartoons on my television. Well, I didn't go to sleep watching cartoons. It just happens to be what was on when I woke up. The next thing you know, there is this commercial. And... What it was, was a guy that was running for election in Dallas, Texas, and he was pro-life. 
they were using some god-awful images to try to make you think more of his pro-life stance, okay? Mm-hmm. In the middle of fucking Saturday morning cartoons. Really? Really? You wouldn't think and that I, would... Well, yeah. So, but I called in having a fit about this. And I guess, you know, there's a lot of parents that have to sit and watch Saturday morning cartoons with their kids. And, and, and I get that. But uh-huh. I didn't think that this was appropriate commercial material in Saturday morning cartoons. I mean, it, it, Jan, no, it, but, but so bad. I called in the news state. I right. Called, but, mm-hmm. so, but, but I mean, I guess from the other side too, does anybody remember when green smoke got dinked for advertising during iCarly? Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's legitimate. You shouldn't run an e-cigarette ad on Nickelodeon. Yeah. Uh, that's legitimate, but other stuff that they consider advertising is just ridiculous. I think they would like to enforce a sort of plain packs kind of thing with vaping. I don't even know how you could do that. When, you know, when I say they, I mean, you know, the anti, big anti-e-cig. <laughs> okay, well, and not to keep talking about my time spent in Texas, but I have to tell you, uh, Dallas County was dry. Okay, um, and there's a lot of people that don't understand dry counties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, there were bars there, but you had to be a member of this private club. Is what they, everything had to be a private club back then, and you couldn't advertise that you sold alcohol. You know how bars have neon lights in the windows, and you couldn't have any of that. Even like the beer delivery trucks had to be plain white panel trucks they they couldn't even say budweiser on the side of them it couldn't say smirnoff none of that if you had a neon sign in your bar it had to be 30 feet um 30 feet away from a window it was facing or facing away from the window so that it couldn't be seen from the window so i think you know when when i yeah it it was it was just kind of messed up but um, do do I understand the point that they're trying to make? Yeah, but to realistically think that a teenager or a kid is not going to know that that alcohol exists and that mm-hmm. people that grown ups drink it is fucking ignorant. And this is the same form of ignorance. Well, no, and and you're right. It absolutely is. Um, it's prohibition through a back door. It's by using the children, 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 children excuse um, that we'll be able to change the world. And that's that's simply not going to happen. I'm, I'm sorry. We derailed you, Alex. I didn't mean to. Oh, that's OK. It actually made me think of something. I'm, I'm going to be probably traveling up to Montreal um, later this year. And uh, I believe at least Quebec, not necessarily the rest of Canada. Right. But uh, Quebec is some pretty aggressive anti-tobacco laws that was the first place where i saw um there is no you walk into a a deponer and it's you know a corner store and it's the everything's behind a a plastic blinder um they have to lift it up to get the pack of cigarettes out and you don't even if i remember correctly there's no branding on these blinders they might be able to you know hand write like menthols are over here like so you know where to point 
you know, but right. it's other than that, it's, and this is, you know, this is Canada. So they didn't necessarily have my brand when I was up there when I was still smoking. Right. So, and also everybody speaks French. And so it was <laughs> kind of like, I'm trying to explain to some somebody who either speaks, you know, French or Chinese, like I want this particular brand and, and, you know, all we can really understand is menthol. Um, so I ended up getting a, a pack of cigarettes I didn't really like, but, yeah. um, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so it, it's now, as I understand it, uh, vape shops have been subject to a similar regulation, but there's a bit of a compromise. So once you're in the store, you can see all the branding and there's marketing, but the windows have to be blacked out or, you know, mirrored or something like that so that people on the street can't see in, um, so uh, that'll be interesting to see exactly how that's being implemented. Well, I mean, um, very, you've seen what happened with the, they went to plain packaging and then they enforced like the doors over everything in the stores. What has that done to tobacco? Not a lot. Yeah. People, people still use it. Oh yeah. And, and, and children are aware that people smoke. Uh, yes. Okay, so if, it's if a proposition by, that, that is nothing, basically. Yeah. I mean, you still have smokers saying they have kids asking them for cigarettes in Scotland. Of I, Scottish I children, yeah. Walk up hmm? to people. Can I have a fag? <laughs> I need to apologize. Everybody that's listening to the Kasa update, I, I apologize if I offended anybody with my language. This is why I mute during this segment. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're all adults here. It's <laughs> it's it's not like you're not a Kassam member, Jeannie. I mean, you're, you're welcome to speak during the updates. You know, and and you you've done a lot for us. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, it's just I think the uh the scope of of tobacco control, big anti-vapor. I think it's all just running off the rails. Uh, you go from from things that might be marginally successful um, to just insanely stupid proposals that do nothing but increase the cost for stores and, and eat into the profit base for selling the product, I think. That's dangerous. That's a dangerous place to be. So... Yeah, I don't know. Sorry. No, it's cool. I, you know, I there's um, it just maybe to bring it back to legislation. I, that's boring, but <laughs> <laughs> um, there were sort of a handful of local alerts that I got over the past couple of weeks. I apologize for not uh, getting some of these out. Um, there were a few that were in California. There was like one in Utah, um, but uh, I think people have been posting about stuff. Uh, there was something in Minnesota, um, but uh, really, rather than dealing in the specifics here, and I, again, I apologize. I have a regular day job that demands my attention. Now, for the first couple months of this year, it was very, it's like January, February into March. It's actually very slow at work, so I have a lot of downtime, and I can actually spend some of my downtime reading and writing and doing things that's not work related. Um, but that's kind of disappeared. So, um, I am very much behind and not as dialed in as I have been in the past. 
Um, but uh, just to reiterate, I know we say this to just ad nauseum, but um, even though most state legislatures have adjourned for the year, everybody's local governments are still making law. Um, so uh, we everything everything has slowed down a bit, but uh, school's back in session, so uh, anything can happen. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll try to follow up on stuff. The only kind of current one that I have that technically has not happened yet uh, is tonight. Uh, Wheat Ridge, Colorado, um, is hearing Council Bill 22-2015, um, and this would include electronic cigarettes into their smoking in public places rules. Um which uh, Colorado is another one of those states where, you know, they've legalized the marijuanas, but now they're going after vapor products. So, um, <laughs> whatever. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's really all I got. It, it just to you know, and, and we'll round it out with the, uh, you know, share your, your story. Um, and that was the other part in, in, in case this was, uh, not clear in the instructions for the, the consumer reports thing. Um, you know, there's an opportunity there to share your brief story, a paragraph or slightly more, and then copy and paste that into our testimonials project. And you killed two birds with one stone or yep. maybe, maybe killed is not the right word, but, um, Two birds, one. You got two birds. <clears throat> Whatever. Yeah, two in the hand. Yeah, you got two in your hand instead of one in hand and one not in your hand. I guess. One in the hand or, is worth two in the bush. Yeah, or or something. Or M and M's don't melt in your hand. No way. Yeah, wait. They melt in your mouth and not in your hand. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um. Well, I mean, you you do an incredible amount for us, Alex. I don't know how you do it. Um. But uh, if if you need help, just let me know. I'll do what I can. Cool. I'm I'm enjoying this lull a little too hard, so uh, <laughs> be, be back up to speed soon. Yeah. Well, batten down the hatches. Get ready. Legislation's coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess that's it for this evening. Um, and for this update. Um. Thank you for everything you do for us, Alex. Um, and thank you to the people listening to these updates. Um, if you're not already a member, please join us at Kassad.org. On the front page of Kassad.org, you can find a link to the Testimonials Project. Um, you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Google Plus as Kassam Media. Uh, we're also on YouTube and we're on Facebook as the official CASA Facebook page. And we also have a a group for just um, chatter, I guess. Well, not so much chatter. It, it's on-topic stuff about uh, legislation and, and things of that nature called We Are CASA. So stop by and talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, oh, uh, HR 2058? Yes. Um, yeah, if you haven't please um 
follow the call to action on the CASA website for uh, HR 2058 and see if you can get your Congress critter to become a co-sponsor of said legislation. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you for all you do to help yourself save vaping. Have a good night. Bye, Alex. Thanks. Good night. Okay. Shift gears back to the horrible things the government does. <laughs> shit, shit, the other shit, horrible shit. things. I am so sorry, Jan. <laughs> That's okay. I just feel like an idiot when I'm like, oh my god, Jenny, we're cussing on the Kazabi. That's okay. I said fuck on it last week. Or like the last time we did this. I, I, I know I said fuck. So um, I said we were going to talk a little bit about Karma Code. Um, and yeah, I, I think. Um, the government's done some pretty shitty things and, and GCHQ with its <laughs> karma police and its karma code stuff is, is pretty bad but um, I think the thing people don't realize is how much it all ties together right all of it um, and this is actually from the intercept This somebody stuck this link in chat earlier so I'm just going to read bits and pieces of it because if I read the whole thing, um, it'll take forever. And as much as I love The Intercept for how in-depth they get into this stuff, it really does get quite boring, I think, for people to listen to it being read. Profiled from Radio to Porn. There was a simple aim at the heart of the top secret program. Record the website browsing habits of every visible user on the Internet. Before long, billions of digital records about ordinary people's online activities were being stored every day. Among them were details categorizing visits to porn, social media, and news websites, search engines, chat forums, and blogs. The mass surveillance operation, codenamed Karma Police, was launched by British spies about seven years ago without any public debate or scrutiny. It was just one part of a giant global internet spying apparatus built by the United Kingdom's Electronic Eavesdropping Agency, Government Communications Headquarters, or GCHQ. The revelations about the scope of the British agency's surveillance are contained in documents obtained by The Intercept from the National Security Agency whistleblower Edward Snowden. Previous reports based on the leaked files have exposed how GCHQ taps into the internet cables to monitor communications on a vast scale, but many details about what happens to the data after it has been vacuumed up have remained unclear. Amid a renewed push from the UK government for more surveillance powers, more than two dozen documents being disclosed today by The Intercept reveal for the first time that several major strands of GCHQ's existing electronic eavesdropping capabilities. One system builds profiles showing people's web browsing histories. Another analyzes instant messenger communications, emails, Skype calls, text messages, cell phone locations, and social media interactions. Separate programs were built to keep tabs on, quote, suspicious Google searches and use of Google Maps. The surveillance is underpinned by an opaque legal regime that has authorized GCHQ to sift through huge archives of metadata about the private phone calls, emails, and internet browsing logs of Brits, Americans, and any other citizen, all without a court order or judicial warrant. Metadata reveals information about a communication such as the sender and recipient of an email or the phone number someone has called and at what time, 
but not the written content of the message or the audio of the call. As of 2012, GCHQ was storing about 50 billion metadata records about online communications and web browsing activity every day with plans in place to boost capacity to over 100 billion daily by the end of that year. The agency, under cover of secrecy, was working to create what it said would soon be the biggest government surveillance system anywhere in the world. This is where we get to karma police. Radio radicalization. The power of karma police was illustrated in 2009 when GCHQ launched a top-secret operation to collect intelligence about people using the Internet to listen to radio shows. The agency used a sample of nearly 7 million metadata records gathered over a period of three months to observe the listening habits of more than 200,000 people across 185 countries, including the U.S., the U.K., Ireland, Canada, Mexico, Spain, the Netherlands, France, and Germany. A summary report detailing the operation shows that one aim of the project was to research potential misuse of Internet radio stations to spread radical Islamic ideas. GCHQ spies from an unknown unit known as the Network Analysis Center compiled a list of the most popular stations that they had identified, most of which had no association with Islam, like France-based Hot Mix Music Radio, which plays pop, rock, funk, and hip-hop music. They zeroed in on any stations found broadcasting recitations from the Quran, such as a popular Iraqi radio station and a station playing sermons from a prominent Egyptian Im- imam named Sheikh Mohammed Jabril. They then used Karma Police to find out more about these stations' listeners, identifying them as users on Skype, Yahoo, and Facebook. The summary report says the spies selected one Egyptian-based listener for profiling and investigated which other websites he had been visiting. Surveillance records revealed the listener had viewed the porn site RedTube as well as Facebook, Yahoo, YouTube, Google's blogging platform Blogspot, the photo-sharing site Flickr, a website about Islam, and an Arab advertising site. GCHQ's documents indicate that plans for karma police were drawn up between 2007 and 2008. The system was designed to provide the agency with either A, a web browsing profile for every visible user on the internet, or B, a user profile for every visible website on the internet. The origin of the surveillance system's name is not discussed in the documents, but Karma Police is also the name of a popular song released in 1997 by the Grammy award-winning British brand British band Radiohead, suggesting the spies may have been fans. A verse repeated throughout the hit song includes the lyric, This is what you'll get when you mess with us. It's just off-topic and kind of funny. Um, so, <clears throat> they take all that data, and they vacuum it up. And then it goes somewhere. So, I don't think we know much about where that data goes, do we, Very? Uh, it's probably getting stored somewhere, funnily enough. Although, unlike the NSA, the GCHQ, uh, funnily enough, don't openly advertise where they store stuff by building gigantic buildings that everybody can see. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you never know, they might be paying the NSA to hold their shit. <laughs> I, don't even I doubt it. I don't think they trust the NSA. I don't think anybody trusts the NSA. You'd be a fool to, wouldn't well, you? After after the whole Snowden thing, you'd, you'd have to be an idiot to give the NSA any secret. <laughs> Very true. Not that they couldn't figure out how to steal it for themselves. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, basically, as far as I know, all that data goes and sits in a black hole. 
I don't think yeah. it actually does, but that's what we'll no. say. The British government don't like throwing things away. I, I know. It, it, it means somebody's storing, identifying, and categorizing all that information. And that means, quite probably, since we know it from um, the scraping of the internet backbone, we know it because they can get through the transatlantic cables. Yeah. Um, we know that our emails are stored on servers but moved around. So if you use a, a mail service like Gmail or Yahoo, it gets moved, bounced from place to place. And if it's ever gone across the transatlantic cables, we know GCHQ is a copy of it. Just, just so, for people who haven't read the story, GCHQ's main office... Right, I mean, there's a photo of it in that article. Yeah, it's it's kind of it, it, scary. It does look like something that, yeah, that that's used by spy guys. It, it just has yeah. the look of, yeah, this is a building used by spies. It looks all techy and shiny and kind of. Well, I was actually, wondering if uh, Jean Farver had seen pictures of it when when they're doing the Iron Man stuff, you know, for the arc reactor. You know, it, like it does kind of look like the arc reactor, too. Yeah. I, I never really thought of that. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think my favorite thing is the lo the, the logo. Yeah. The social anthropod logo. I You really got to look at this story. I, I think somebody stuck the link in chat again. I know Thomas stuck the link in chat at the very beginning. You really need to look at this story because they really don't have a high opinion of us as human beings, y'all. No. Um. Okay. Well, most so, of the GCHQ people are all like Oxford and Cambridge graduates. You know. Well, they, they are super smart geeks, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but still, we're all human beings. You peel away the skin, we all look the same on the inside. Um, okay, so after that, the social anthropod, just a little bit about that. The agency operates a bewildering away. away. Away, away, yay! All right. A bewildering, a bewildering array of other eavesdropping systems, each serving its own specific purpose and designed as a unique code name, such as Social Anthropod, which is used to analyze metadata on emails, instant messenger chats, social media connections, and conversations, plus telephony metadata about phone calls, cell phone locations, text, and multimedia messages. Memory Hole, which logs queries entered into search engines and associates each search with an IP address. Marbled Gecko, which surfs, sifts through details about searches people have entered into Google Maps and Google Earth. And Infinite Monkeys, which analyzes data about the unique usage of online bulletin boards and forums. So I told you they don't think very much of us, y'all. GCHQ has other programs that it uses to analyze the content of intercepted communications, such as the full written body of emails and the audio of phone calls. One of the most important content collection capabilities is Tempora, you know about Tempora, which mines vast amounts of emails, instant messages, voicemails, and other communications and makes them accessible through a Google-style search tool named XKeyScore. As of September 2012, Tempora was collecting more than 40 billion pieces of content a day, and it was being used to spy on people across Europe, the Middle East, North Africa according to a top-secret memo outlining the scope of the program. The existence of Tempora was first revealed by The Guardian in June 2013. 
to analyze all of the communications it intercepts and to build a profile of individuals it is monitoring. GCHQ uses a variety of different tools that can pull together all of the relevant information and make it accessible through a single interface. Samuel Pepys is one such tool built by British spies to analyze both the content and metadata of emails, browsing sessions, and instant messages as they are being intercepted in real time. One screenshot of Samuel Pepys in action shows the agency using it to monitor an individual in Sweden who visited a page about GCHQ on the U.S.-based anti-secrecy website Cryptomy. Domestic spying. Partly due to the U.K.'s geographic location, situated between the United States and the western edge of continental Europe, a large amount of the world's internet traffic passes through its territory and across international cables. Okay, so we know that they're stealing that data. Okay. Um, it just, this this goes on and on. And GCHQ are like masterminds of this stuff. Oh, yeah. Every, everything the NSA thinks it wants to do, the GCHQ <laughs> has already got the tools to do bigger and better than anybody else. Oh, by, and, by, by the way, it's it's Samuel Peeps. Okay. Not well, Peeps, but yeah. It, Famous it's, it's British me. writer from ages My ago. accent is shitty, but I try. <laughs> um, and it's really disturbing that there's like 32 pages of these two stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, GCHQ um, are very busy. It, they are. Um, and the site but, does kind of... Yeah, the, the, the code names for the projects and software titles are just hilarious. I've got to tell you, you really need to read this story. You, you need to, because it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, if you're not an Intercept fan, believe me, I understand that the stuff on the Intercept is information overload. Yeah, let's send people to CryptoMate. <laughs> send them there, because GCHQ needs to know more about all of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like I say, GCHQ is made up of they do recruit the best and the brightest. They're, mm-hmm. um, they, they don't settle for like a guy who's pretty good. They go out and recruit the guy who's best at whatever they want somebody to be doing. That's what British spy groups do, and have been doing it for a long time. Right. So yeah, they're they're not dumb. <laughs> if no, if not there's dumb, a site they... that's monitoring government specific government activity. Of course they're going to be hacking that and making sure they log everything that happens on it. All uh, I can tell you is, like, this stuff, the more I read of this stuff, the more I'm like, you know, we could go back to good old-fashioned letter writing using stamps and mail order using, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because um, it's just between this stuff and the social media tracking and stuff, it's just, it's, there is no more privacy unless it's between your freaking ears. And I'm sure they're looking for ways to take that away too. Yeah, they, they can look in, in between my ears if they want, but yeah, it'll just confuse them. <laughs> Confuses me. I, I don't really want them looking between my ears. I like to pretend I still have some sort of privacy left on this planet, even if it's just, you know, neuron to neuron in my skull. Okay, so let's see. We we made fun of Chris Christie a lot. 
We talked about them poisoning St. Louis. Oh, I'm sorry, irradiating St. Louis. That was our government. We talked about GCHQ spying on us. So let's try something else. Don't know what this... I don't know how good this is going to be. I don't know what good it's going to do for people. I, I don't even know that it matters because this is about the FISA court. Okay. Um, and we might as well call the FISA court the rubber stamp court. If they want a, if they want the ability to tap your phone, the government can just go to a FISA court and get a pretty much a yes. There's only two times in the court's history that it's ever said no. No. Just so you know, the government wants to know about you. It will find out. America's most secretive court invites its first outsider. Amakai Curie are tasked to advance the protection of individual privacy. A well-known Washington, D.C. lawyer has been appointed to be the first of five Amakai Curie friends of the court will act as a sort of ombudsman or public advocate at the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. The move was one of the provisions of the USA Freedom Act, which is contrary to its name, which passed in June 2015 as a package of modest reforms to the national security system. The attorney, Preston Burton, was named to the post by the FISC earlier this month, which was not widely reported until the Intercept noticed it on Friday. This is from um, Ars Technica, I think. Um... Burton was likely selected because he had dealt with many security-related cases in the past, including former CIA intelligence agent Aldrich H. Ames and former FBI special agent Robert Hansen. In addition, according to his own biography, he has held a top-secret SCI-level security clearance at numerous points in his career, which he will need again. According to the law, it will be Burton's job to present legal arguments that advance the protection of individual privacy and civil liberties, information related to intelligence collection or communications technology, or legal arguments or information regarding any other area relevant to the issue presented to the court. Previously, hearings before the FISC were ex parte or one-sided, with the judge only hearing from government representatives. Prior to the Snowden leaks, all the FISC opinions, as well as the entire docket, had been totally secret. In the court's history, warrants and other related orders are approved more than 99% of the time. I think one has to be disturbed to learn, as we recently have, that more than 1,800 applications, around more than 1,800 approvals, have been made by the court, Gary Hart, a former Colorado senator who sat on the church committee, told Ars Technica in 2013, just weeks after the Snowden leaks. That select sensational committee was created in the 1970s, and its recommendations paved the way for the FISA and the FISC. Hart told ours that he would be in favor of some sort of ombudsman-type position. I think it would be a little more comfortable if there were more rejections, Hart added at the time. The glass is half full, that is properly trained, and quarter judges are hearing persuasive cases. But as a lawyer, this is not a typical judicial proceeding that we're familiar with because there's no other side. Unlike virtually everything else in the legal system, it's not adversarial. The judge hears the government's case, but there's nobody else to argue the other side. If you're a constitutionalist, as I am, that's disturbing. What is disturbing? 
I mean, what's even more disturbing is that if the government wants to know about you, you have no right to know that they're looking. Yeah. You have no right to defend yourself. You could wake up someday in some deep, dark hole and never know how or why you got there. But um, yeah, again, so, it's, it's not exactly a new phenomenon. This shit's been going on for a very long time. All right, but, you know, now we're actually able to have open conversations about it and not sound like, you know, we need to be guests on the Alex Jones talk show. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is real stuff. This isn't just things that only paranoid people have nightmares about. Yeah. It's real and it happens. And it always starts with, you know, whoever is most vulnerable in society before it moves along to the quote unquote normal people. And, you know, as the economy falters, as we see it doing, we're seeing, you know, stock slide and a lot more bubbles crash. More and more people are going to become vulnerable people. We've seen what the for-profit prison system has done to jobs in this country and every country. And we've seen exactly what... When... There is no respect for labor and there is no respect for the people. We've seen what happens. We know what happens. And eventually, oh, there's no way to fight back against that. All you can do now is just, I guess, be aware and try to be a good person. But we know there's consequences to the things the government does. And they will always come after you, probably when you least expect. And sorry, I know that sounded paranoid. Um, let's talk about Jay Lens, shall we? <laughs> my favorite. That's my favorite billion-dollar boondoggle. We're back to another blimp. It's not. Yeah. It's not just the governor. <laughs> yeah, I should have done back-to-back -back blimp stories. We should have done Chris Christie and then this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. The army is testing giant high-tech blimps east of Baltimore to assess their ability to provide an early warning if the national capital area were attacked with cruise missiles, drones, or other low-flying weapons. Okay, so does anybody remember the guy in his gyrocopter? Never mind. I, but wait a minute. So, if, if we're under aerial attack, we're going to put up blimps as an early warning system? Haven't you seen Big Hero 6? No. I haven't seen any Big Hero either. I'm just saying Big Hero 6's blimps were kind of like medical robots. Inflatable medical robots, which would be way more useful than this shit. Okay. At least it would do something. I'm sorry. It was a bad joke. They kind of look like blimps or the Michelin Man. Okay. Oh. Um, I, Jan, I have no idea, so I'm just going to agree with okay. you. Okay. Sorry. Do they not think it's kind of a little bit of an oxymoron? Barry and I have talked about this before, and I don't know if we've talked about it on the air, but it, it just seems like, isn't it Raytheon that came mm -hmm. out with these? Yeah. Barry? Okay. Raytheon used to have really good technology. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know why the fuck they're going backwards to the 50s and shit with their technology, <laughs> but damn. <laughs> these things are terrible. They're costing the taxpayers $2.7 billion. Uh-huh. And they don't fucking work. I mean, maybe yeah. that's that's the gist of it. I don't need to read the whole thing to you. 
They cost. I don't understand. I mean, is is the whole point of this that the blimp goes up in the air and and when the aerial attack shoots the fucking blimp down, you you know that they're shooting at you? <laughs> maybe, but I, I think maybe the point is there's a part in the story where they're talking to these high level people in the military and they're saying we tried to stop this for years, but the the everything is so entrenched in government that we can't even stop stuff we know is a money sink. We know we're sinking money into this crap. It doesn't work. We've still got to deploy it because we can't kill the program. Yeah, they've already signed contracts with contractors, etc. They they forget to put clauses in so you can cancel them. Kind of like the British government with its aircraft carriers. Um... (laughs) You know, order something and then realize, oh shit, we don't need it. Uh, but we can't back out. You know, I. But but the blimp to to fill you know, people's knowledge, it's supposed to be able to track airborne objects, um, tap communications, look for, you know, incoming badness. Unfortunately, it doesn't do any of those things. It, it sits up there and weighs $2.7 billion of it's your money. It's big, it's white, it lets you know there's a military base right next to it. Yeah, look at this thing. Look <laughs> at this fucking thing. You cannot tell me. Well, actually, I don't think there's any pictures there. Um, but there's no way you can tell me that this big, giant, white thing that's tethered, you can see the tethers, is going to protect people. But there they are. There's tons of them all over Maryland. That's two point seven billion right next to big military bases. So yeah, Uh, the thing that gets me is uh, this is they've only started doing these have only been noticed by people in the last year or two. There's already they already have brilliant tracking technology that can can track anything bigger than a pigeon Mm -hmm. across most of North America. Well, here's the thing. They can do it. Spy satellites now. Why the fuck do we need blimps? Uh, well, you see, you can disrupt communications with spy satellites using certain technologies. But they already right. have ground-based tracking systems that can track every moving object in American airspace. Well, I mean, I, I guess NORAD had that forever ago, right? Mm-hmm. During the Cold War? Yeah, what well, the fuck is wrong with that? It's the if, same if, technology. If you go to the Los Alamos website, I believe right. I've mentioned it before. Mm-hmm. They they have a, they have they developed a computer system there, which which allegedly was for tracking near Earth orbit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I totally believe that. At near Earth orbit meteorites, mm-hmm. uh, but but weirdly seems to be able to simultaneously track fifty thousand. High velocity objects in American airspace at any given time. That's funny how that works, isn't it? But honest, honest is pointed out at space. <laughs> it's not pointed at you. We're not watching you. Right. You you really have to see these things. Yeah. You can't if you've never seen one of the photos from Raytheon. Actually, let me see if I can link to one. It's it's pretty freaking. They are. Yeah. They, Genie, are they not big and white? They look like a giant white whale in the sky. How do you not see this shit? <laughs> you do, though. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
it's and it's gigantic. Okay. Yes. So now they had a miss. Stereo Dreamer hasn't been posting about this shit every fucking day. Well, yeah, I know. He's in Maryland. He has other concerns. Something about weapons and Second Amendment. Well, the, the the best bit, which is in the story, apparently for each of these, these blimps, it needs 130 grand crew. <laughs> oh, That's more than most combat jets need. <laughs> $2.7 billion. Just saying. Yeah. If you want to know what your tax dollars at work looks like and you're in Maryland, just look up. Don't you really need to look up? They're that big. <laughs> <laughs> just drive through Maryland, you'll notice one. It's, well, it does say they're 240 feet long. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, how is that inconspicuous? It's like all? an it's aircraft not. it's like an aircraft carrier floating. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's Great for Halloween, I bet. Oh, they should put little faces on it for Halloween, make it more fun. <laughs> hey, yeah, you paint one up like. Uh, you could paint the one up like, oh, like a jack o' lantern? Or. Ooh, a ghost? Ghostbusters. The. <laughs> Stay Puff Marshmallow, Marshmallow Man. Or Chris Christie? Yeah. He's doing a pretty good job of looking like one already, so. Yeah. I know. Yeah, well, it, it's not antique World War II memorabilia, but it is antique World War II technology. So it kind of yeah. cracks me up that on, on one hand, they keep talking about, and I say they, InfoSec really keeps talking about the next thing we have to worry about is a cyber war. And yet you've got <laughs> military moving backwards with technology. It's just bizarre to me. And I understand what Barry's saying, though. If they ever, you ever had a, I. I don't even think you'd need an EMP to really knock out. A lot of our shit's vulnerable. Oh, yeah. I, you know, meteorite hits satellite, you know, boom, starts a chain reaction, hits another one. You know, basically it knocks out communications. You're screwed. Um, So I understand the need for this. I just don't think we needed $2.7 billion worth of them. Well, there are other better solutions. per, Per state. You know what I mean? Near a military installation, I'm fine with. These things are blanketing Maryland. <laughs> and there's no fucking need of it. And the government couldn't stop its own runaway program. That's got to tell you something about government. When it's so big, it can't stop itself, you're fucked. Well, it's only matter a matter of time before one breaks loose from its tethers and goes it and did crashes in 2010. on something. Yeah. But yeah, the size of it could take out quite a big building. Mm-hmm. Just as well we're not filled with hydrogen, really. Yeah. Well, we did learn something from that, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> That's the only positive. <laughs> oh they aren't God. filled with hydrogen. Yeah, exactly. So, the good thing is they're not filled with a combustible gas that will kill everyone Well, on board. 132 ground crew. That is... Awesome. No, there's nobody on board. Nobody actually. Well, no, it's a ground sits crew. on it. Just, it's just yeah, people on the ground looking after it. It's fantastic. Well, it's created a lot of jobs. Maybe this ground crew has to hold it stationary. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> tethered to a building. Well, you know, maybe, it's... maybe they're tethered to the 130 people. In the ground. <laughs> oh my God. What I was going to say is, I I don't you know I don't think they're like a dog or a cat. They probably don't have to shake it for a walk and feed it. You know, no litter box to clean. Hey guys, 
need to move ten feet to the right. Ready? <laughs> God. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's it's almost as ridiculous as... Do you remember um, the story we did? And I don't know if it was you and me or Karen Carey and I. But we talked about they took away all the guns from the Border Patrol. Oh, yeah, no, that was us. Okay. I mean, that that was ridiculous. We laughed over that for days just because it's, it's so ridiculous. This is ridiculous, too, but it's also costing us a fuck of a lot of money. Yeah, because Program, programs like this need to be reviewed by people with common sense that aren't in the government <laughs> who can just reject this shit out of hand. No. You want a good link for these those two stories? Slingshot. Because the border guys could have used the slingshot after their guns got taken away. And this new latest high-tech spy technology could be taken out with a slingshot. (laughs) High-tech. You're funny. The the whole stupid thing about them pulling the weapons was the fact that the repairs that the weapons needed, the people Mm -hmm. that had the weapons, could have done it. Yep. It was just, it was absolutely ridiculous. This is what I said. Government is so big... It can't get out of its own way. And you've got one agency after another agency making ridiculous laws and and just making life in general harder and more expensive for ordinary, honest, hardworking people that just want to live a quiet life and be left alone. And I think that's most of us. Most of us don't want the government interfering and, and telling us that if you eat red meat... Meat is murder. Uh, we need to make you. We need to um, demonize you, like we demonize smokers, because you're hurting the planet. Oh, that oh. shit doesn't need to be done. Oh, oh, I've got to come in on this one. Excellent, okay. excellent aside for this one. The the, okay. the government telling you what to do. Yeah, must have seen about the the uh, shadow <laughs> secretary that was. Uh, but is that the guy week, who actually stood up and started yelling and screaming about the New World Order? No, 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 no. no oh, no, this no, no. is a different Shadow this, Secretary? This, the, the Shadow Secretary for um, basically farming Okay. Right, was appointed in the UK mm-hmm. by Jeremy Corbyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's vegan. Um, I'll see if I can find one of this, the stories. Hang on. But basically, she's like, this sh- you should treat meat-eaters like smokers. That's what yeah, the woman well, came out with. So and she's in charge she of farming. Be, basically, she should be dating fucking Morrissey. Yeah. Mr. So, yeah, meat if, is murder if, Luckily, she's not actually the government. She's supposed to be the opposition to the government. So luckily, <laughs> she's not actually in charge. But, yeah. How they've worrying got, is that? They've got these <laughs> whacked-out ideas. These these people, Thomas Jefferson had it right, and I don't normally go into this, but he said every 19 years, the Constitution needed to be gone through and updated by the youngest people in the generation living under it. Um, I think a lot of the younger people would go, fuck this shit, get it the hell out of here. Um, no, a lot of them, Jan, wouldn't be able to read the fucking thing. I've dropped the link to the Guardian story about um, Should I just start reading the mad it? woman. I'll just start reading want. it. Well, why not? It's last week we didn't have a show. What the hell? Okay. Vegan Shadow Environment Secretary's views on meat just won't cut it. Jeannie's going to like this one. This is... Oh, she... 
she looks crazy all around the eyes. <laughs> she Tell me I'm wrong. Look at that woman. Does she look normal? Like around the eyes, she just has that I could be a serial killer at any second look. I'm sorry. It's because she's, she's a vegan, but she secretly wants to eat meat. Well, maybe. People. People are food. Um, Sorry. I didn't mean to go there. When Carrie McCarthy, a vegan, was appointed as a shadow environment secretary, I didn't rush to pass judgment. A vegetarian myself, I knew it was a mistake to caricature people. Why shouldn't a vegan be able to talk to the farming and agricultural industry or any other industry come to that? However, in an interview with the vegan magazine Viva Life, conducted before the leadership election, McCarthy says she believes that meat should be treated the same way as tobacco, with public campaigns to stop people eating it. Reading this, my heart sank. She couldn't have come across as more old-school loony left if she tried. What did... Why did what McCarthy said disconcert me so much? I've written about animal suffering in the meat industry. I've also expressed incredulity, incredulity at how blasé some people are about the dangers of over-consuming processed meat. In my view, people should take personal responsibility for doing this, just as they are told to when it comes to cigarettes and alcohol. However, even though I wouldn't eat meat, and I think other people would benefit from eating less of it, I don't think that all meat per se, from high quality to low, organic to processed, is equivalent to tobacco. Does McCarthy still believe that meat should be publicly tackled the same way as tobacco? More to the point, is this how she wishes to approach her new job? Since the astonished response to her remark, McCarthy has merely demurred along the lines that she wouldn't want to tell people what to eat, just to be more aware, blah blah. You get the sense that McCarthy has one eye on the people she would normally be talking to, people who already agree with her, and the other on this new group she's suddenly dealing with. Not only the agricultural and farming industries, but also the general public. One could emphasize its early days in the job, and an interview, although recent, before she assumed her new position had popped up. However, McCarthy needs to adjust to her new responsibilities quickly before she discredits the shadow cabinet and makes vegans, vegetarians, and animal rights campaigners look like fanaticists, hysterics, and idiots. Let's be clear, most people who are concerned about animal welfare are not fanaticists, hysterics, or idiots for the simple reason they don't have to be. There's nothing weird or stupid or even particularly niche about pushing for stricter, more humane regulations regarding animal welfare in the meat industry. Many people who eat meat want this too. I do. Other people are less interested or simply couldn't care less and would probably dismiss someone like myself as a crank just for being vegetarian. The fact is, it doesn't really matter if you think I'm a crank. I'm not the shadow environment secretary who has to rigorously maintain credibility far beyond my immediate circle of close, uh, of like-minded friends. I meant to say close-minded, but that wasn't how it was written. And who needs to ensure that my policies sound as workable from Merith. Tideville to Tideville. Yeah, I don't live there. I'm sorry, I should have just mirrored to you there. As they do while I'm ordering sprouting alfalfa salad in a vegan organic delicatessen. Like other Corbinites you could mention, McCarthy has to stop fretting that having the courage and intelligence to deal with reality makes a person a hypocrite. Just as, in my opinion, the poor, disenfranchised, and disabled need a tougher, more practical, and crucially more mainstream opposition party than is offered right now, so too does the animal welfare need an advocate more plausible than someone who could be ridiculed from ridiculed from the off because she appears to be lost in student activist militant daydreams. 
It's not about lying, hiding your true views, or neurotically second-guessing public opinion. In McCarthy's case, it's about realizing that the real world isn't nice, and it definitely isn't vegan, and that if she carries on like this, she's not going to be a credible shadow environment secretary. I do like it. Before she discredits the shadow cabinet. <laughs> yeah. As soon as she got appointed, people, funnily enough, because it was such a recent story, were straight on the... But she yeah. said... <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's just kind of... It's ridiculous to me. I mean, yeah. I don't... I don't eat a lot of meat. And that's because I'm lazy. It's easier for me to come home and make a salad than cook something. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy that way. I don't want to tell people how to live their lives. I don't. I fucking starve to death. <laughs> yeah, not so much me. I would. I would. I would starve to death. Um, we eat a lot of meat, um, and unfortunately, my husband's cholesterol um, in, is indicative of the amount of pork and beef that we eat. Um, hence, the rabbits. Yeah. Mm. Um, and you know, and after. Watching, Jesus Christ, um, Netflix was a bad, bad, bad thing for me. Um, <laughs> and, and you people getting me watching documentaries um, was a bad thing. I do believe that the meat industry in the United States is fucked. Um, it's disgusting. It's, it's, I don't, I don't like it myself. But it's I don't. absolutely fucked. Um, I think it is sickening and disgusting that the federal government has passed laws making it illegal for you to go and take pictures um, of how disgusting this industry is and and publish them or try to do anything with them. It, it's illegal for you to do that. Um, excuse me, if I want to go to the beef farm next door and take some pictures and say, hey, people, this is how your beef is being raised and treated, um... And so that everybody wakes up and says, oh, my God, that's disgusting. Um, nothing should have to live like that. Um, then it should be perfectly legal for me to do so. There's nothing illegal about these people going and standing on the street and taking pictures through the windows of my house. Well, you know, here's the thing. You're talking about a government that's no longer a reality. Our government has merged with big business, and we have some sort of inverted totalitarianism. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to rip off Noam Chomsky, but he's the only person I've heard use the term and explain what it means. And it kind of means we don't have like a totalitarian leader at the top. What we have is corporations at the top of this inverted pyramid, and we're at the very bottom. And you've got like corporations on one side and the government on the other, and they're coming together in the middle to just kind of crush us. And you can see that happening. And that's actually a, a really good description of it. You should be able to take photographs of something that sickens you or whatever, whether you're a journalist or an average person. But, you know, we've seen where they've arrested people for taking pictures of courthouses and federal buildings. So, this is not the America I think most of us grew up with. And it's scary. Hmm? Your Skype dropped out for a minute, but you're back. Okay. Um, this, this just isn't the America most of us grew up with. And it's... It's kind of... Really disheartening to see it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how how would they think that putting someone that abhors meat in this position would be taken the wrong way? <laughs> how, how? It's Jeremy Corbyn. He's been a rebel politician all his life, so he appointed uh, as many insane people as he could to his shadow cabinet. <laughs> Always a good idea. We need more crazy in government. Apparently, this is what he's <laughs> aiming for. Yeah. And Smiley put into chat that um, if you support compassionate meat farms, farmers, you are doing more against factory farming than than um, animal rights fuckheads. Um, well, that's absolutely true. I yeah. mean, it, yeah. is, is it worth a couple bucks more a pound for? Say grass raised, grass fed beef, which is way better for you. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, always. Uh, you and if you live anywhere near the country, um, anywhere near the country, you can stop at beef farms and make a deal with farmer, and you will buy your half a beef or your full beef from this farmer and not like you have to go and do anything with it. You know, the farmer takes it to the meat market and the meat market oh, sure. dispatches it and, and they cut it and wrap it and but everything is done butchering and, and you get it all cut and wrapped. So when mm -hmm. I tell people, you know, go buy a cow, I'm not saying go buy a fucking cow. Okay? No, you're talking about cow sharing. Yeah. I mean, which people have traditionally done with milk. You don't really hear about it so much with actual beef. And I, I think that might be because of a lot of the big agro laws. Because that used to be a, actually a really big thing. People in the country used to do this a lot and talk openly about it. <laughs> and I mean, and it still happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have seen footage of of our per, uh, Purdue farm. Ah, yeah, thanks. I think I'll grow my chickens in my backyard. Yeah. No, I just the only thing I really don't like. To be perfectly honest, I'm not a big fan of, of the CAFO feedlot system. I don't think you get healthy animals. And, and I know this. I grew up on a cattle farm. When you take a cow and you give it grain, you're immediately inducing diabetes in a cow. That's just how their systems work. You know, we knew that. You didn't do that until you wanted to fatten them up for slaughter. I mean, and like almost immediately before, and you didn't do it for a really long period of time. Well, now a lot of these animals are barely weaned and being sent off to these CAFO feedlots because it's more profitable. Because, once again, the government and big business are hand in hand skipping down the road together while trampling on basically all of us and our choices. And it's pathetic. Well, you probably didn't see it where you are, but um, Gordon Ramsay did a, a TV show in the UK, <laughs> and most of it was a live show, but every week he had a little film segment, and for one of them, um, I don't know if you're aware of who Janet Street Porter is, she's a well-known, very outspoken, uh, militant TV presenter in the UK. And she's oh, she a vegetarian. sounds delightful. Um, oh, she's a horrible person. I'm but kidding. she was, she was always having a go at people like him for things like veal, right? right? 
So he 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 managed to persuade her that well, you know, if she likes it so much, uh, she can create veal. <laughs> so they got her the calf. They got her, got her on a with a farmer who produces veal, who explained how how to do it, and they got her on her own farm because being one of these militant types, obviously she used to rescue animals and have them wandering about her own farm. Right. But they got her to basically do a veal calf. And it ended up being slaughtered and being served in a restaurant. But she was like, oh, it's not what like I thought. And he's like, yes, it's the modern battery veal that's the problem, not yeah. traditional veal. Mm-hmm. Traditional veal, all it is is the, ca- the, the calf has a very specific diet and is that means it's kept segregated from the other cattle. It's it's it doesn't have to be kept in a tiny little Cage. box, um, yeah. and fed loads of drugs to keep it alive. They've been doing it for centuries. Right. It's I just used, the modern battery techniques. It's the problem. I eat very little meat actually anymore, and I, I don't know. Like I said, to me, it's just I'm tired. I'd rather have yogurt and some fruit or. A salad, and I'm perfectly happy with that. With me, I, I, I don't even make a conscious decision about it. It's not that I don't want to eat meat. It's just that meat is really labor intensive, and yeah. you know, there are I some very now, good vitamin B complexes in meat that you can't get from anywhere else, though. Well, I so, do yeah. still eat it. It's just yeah. you know, mostly on my days off, just not when I'm working, because like I said, it's it's labor intensive to prepare. Yeah. Um. I, I just everybody at work's doing four and five jobs now. So when I get home, if I can like if I'm not limping by that point in time, I just really wanna lay down. <laughs> so yeah. Um and, and I do understand there is actually a need for some factory farming. I get that. Yeah, but it's I the type of factory farming. There are different kinds. Um, there's another one there was another story ages ago yeah. it's um there's a farmer in it's in the US he he's got one of the most intensive dairy farms you know some of the best yield mm-hmm. but he it's completely set up differently it's it. He's he's got practically no staff. He doesn't have to be constantly filling the animals full of antibiotics and the like. But they're basically free range cows. Right. But after he created the first generation, it's kind of self perpetuating. The milking machines, this giant shed with a, it's a rotating set of stalls. Basically, the cows walk in. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they start, there's food for them to eat gets dropped in front of them, and they right. stand still. the The milking apparatus automatically goes on. The whole thing's rotating. By the time it's rotated to the exit point, it's milked the cow. The cow wanders off again. Right. The, these cows spend all or most of their time indoors. The farm has loads of outdoor space, mm-hmm. but after a generation, the cows kind of realised, hmm. 
it's kind of cold and wet outside. We'll just stay in these big enclosed areas the guy's got. <laughs> but the cows aren't penned in as such. They can wander anywhere they like inside this farm. <laughs> it's really weird. There's film of it on YouTube. Uh, I, can't, I don't know where the link is. But yeah, because he was criticised at the time uh, by other farmers. Oh, it's going to fail. He's got the most productive farm in the state or whatever for milk production. And all the animal rights people, of course, descended on him going, oh, this is terrible. These cows never see the daylight. He's like, I'm not forcing them to stay indoors. It's their choice. They they have learned to like being indoors. Uh, You know, and even people like PETA and all that were like, oh, these are some of the happiest cows we've come across. (laughs) Which is frightening because PETA are big fans of calling, like, fish sea kittens. Oh, yeah. We shouldn't eat the sea kittens. I'm like, oh my god, those people are out of their minds. Yeah. And. But yeah, I mean, so intensive farming can be done. And yeah, it cost the guy more to set it up. He worked with a vet to work out all these systems, automatic systems. So basically, you didn't have to have. Oh, I think the call's dropped. Oh, you're still here. Escape's giving me a. Uh, oh, it's John's connections dropped out. That's what it is. But yeah, the uh, <laughs> the guy spent a lot of money developing this automatic cow system. It's quite impressive. But yeah, the cat, the cows just happily wander about all day. <laughs> well, that's what my chickens do. Yeah. I said yeah, free they, range they cows. They have fences. I mean, there is a fence, but um, yeah, yeah. My my chickens have quite the lovely little village to live in. Yeah, but as you can imagine, it is a quite surreal video. Just watching these cows wander in, get on the machine, machine milks them, cow gets off, wanders off again. You're like, wow, because <laughs> it's not what you're used to seeing. I mean, cows do, at milking times, go to the milking shed in traditional farms. But, you know, this is... They even walk into the stall. (laughs) It's like... Well, yeah, we have lost John. Well, now what the hell are we going to do? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I'll try and add her back in. Now we um we got to looking and that's one of the reasons that we decided that we were going to get rabbits, um, is that the calorie count in in rabbit is actually on par or lower than chicken. Yeah. Um But you do have to eat an awful lot of vegetables. Along with rabbit, because rabbit is deficient in nearly all essential vitamins. Yes. <laughs> it's weird that way. What is it? People, if you eat nothing but rabbit, you will you will die. <laughs> Which is funny because rabbits eat lots of green. Yeah. Nope. John's internet has obviously died. Oh dear. Well, um. Jan's internet is down. 
I think we we did go through all of the stories. Yeah. And we went through all of the stories. So, um, I say we say goodbye. Yeah, I shall play the advert and then uh, go. Uh, I shall, I I shall say to the audience, sorry. Uh, don't know what's happened. Uh, obviously, we won't know until John gets back online. What's happened? But uh, thanks for uh, listening. Uh, shall I just play the advert. Yes, sir. Except it's not playing. Ah, these technical gram ones aren't they just great fun? <laughs> right, let's try that again. Nope. I've got it. Yeah. It doesn't okay. seem to be going out on the broadcast though. How strange. Anyway. I have the advert. I can play the advert. All right, okay. Where you go. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. AmmoSeek.com Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.